When the Israelites returned from Babylon, they couldn't just go back to normal. We find ourselves heading into a similar situation. What does God want to say to us in this season as we prepare for life after a pandemic? In After the Exile, Living for God in the New Normal, Pastor Harris will preach a series based on the books of Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me this morning to um, Zechariah chapter 8. That's Zechariah chapter 8. And I want to bring one more message from these books of the Bible that we've been looking at. Um, And I've entitled this series of messages after the exile. After the exile. And we're in Zechariah chapter 8 this morning. And and again, we have been looking at um, the fact that these books, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, they were written to the Jewish people who had just come out of exile in Babylon. They were trying to rebuild their nation, rebuild their city, rebuild their lives, trying to get back to something that would be more normal for them. Um, and, and I've said that we're kind of feeling the same way, are we not? Um, we've felt like we've been in exile in some ways, and we're looking back to, we're looking towards getting back to normal, albeit a new normal, and we're looking to move forward with what God has for our lives, and we want to be prepared, and so we've been allowing God to speak to us through these books of the Bible, and this morning, I want to bring a message entitled, A Different Kind of City a different kind of city where I've subtitled it Strong Hands. Strong Hands. And we're looking at Zechariah chapter 8. I want to read verses 1 through 9, and then we'll skip down to verse 13. And so the Bible says, The word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. And just that that phrase, let me pause to say, that when God speaks about being jealous for Zion, he's speaking about his people. And basically he's saying, man, I love you so much. I want you to know this morning, God loves you. He loves us as his people so much. He goes on to say in verse 3, so this is what the Lord says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. And the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvelous to the remnant of this people at that time, but will it seem marvelous to me, declares the Lord. Oh, we could just preach on that on that verse this morning, that God does marvelous things. To us, it seems marvelous. To him, it's so ordinary because he's such a great and mighty God. Verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will save my people from the countries of the east and west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Now, hear these words. Let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. This is also what the prophets said who were present when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty. Verse 13. Just as you, Judah and Israel, have been a curse among the nations, so I will save you and you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid. 
but let your hands be strong. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and I pray, God, that you would use it to speak into our lives, to encourage us today as your people, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. And so today's message, again, is entitled, A Different Kind of City, or subtitled, Strong Hands. And I want to ask you this morning as we begin, have you ever seen a city that has, we might say for the most part, has died, or a city that has declined almost to the point of no return? Oh, we've seen it happen throughout the years to cities across our nation as maybe people have moved out of cities and out into the suburbs or as an industry or business that once kept that city going, closed or moved away, or as drugs, crime, and and poverty ended up taking over a place that was once filled with prosperity in life. I remember years ago when Kim and I moved to South Jersey to pastor a church down there that was around, that was in 1991. It was my first time going to the city of Camden, and I don't want to diss Camden in any way, but I'll tell you, back then, driving through the city for the first time, I realized I couldn't find one nice spot in that city. It was totally depressed. Whole blocks were empty. The downtown that was once a vibrant downtown was like a near ghost town. And people were working hard trying to figure out how to revitalize that city, how to bring it back to life. But at that time, at least, their efforts seemed hopeless. You see, as we read Zechariah 8, we can't help but notice that the centerpiece of this chapter is a city that is the city of Jerusalem, a city that had become just like what I've described, a depressed and desolate place. Its buildings and walls had been destroyed. Its people had been exiled. Only the poorest of the poor were left behind in the midst of rubble. And when the people returned to Jerusalem after 70 years of exile, you see, they returned to a city that was in ruin. And although they had begun the work of rebuilding its walls and temple, you see, in contrast to the size of the task, we've seen already their efforts seem so meager. I mean, how in the world would they ever be able to rebuild their beloved city? How would they ever restore not only its buildings, but its vitality? Well, in Zechariah 8 and the chapters that follow to the end of the book, God brings through Zechariah a message of hope, hope for his people, hope for their beloved city, hope for their future. You see, Zechariah's message could be summed up like this. God has a wonderful future in store for you and for your city. And if you will follow God, if you will be faithful in serving God, if you will trust him, he will do for you what you cannot do for yourselves. In in fact, he will do something marvelous. So don't be afraid. Let your hands be strong. For God is going to make this into, into a different kind of city. For in the end, you see, it wasn't so much about a physical location or a physical city. That is, its buildings, its roads, its infrastructure. But it was about the people who lived there, the people that that city represented. It was about seeing God revitalize not just a city, but revitalize his people, revitalize their lives. Again, we know this has been a very, very hard time for us over these past few months. And so many of us, we just want to go back to normal, whatever that might look like. I mean, we're all feeling it. We sense it as we go out. And we want to see our lives, our communities, and our church rebuilt. But how will we get there? 
the task can seem so overwhelming. And sometimes it feels, I know to many of us, including me, it feels like an impossible task. But I believe this morning that God wants to give to us a message of hope that he wants to say to us, he wants to say to you, he wants to say to me, listen, don't be afraid of the future. Yes, it may look a little different than what we have known, but don't be afraid of the future because he is able to do something quite marvelous for us as his people if we will keep on believing, if we will keep on moving forward. So let your hands be strong. Let your hands be strong. You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, we read these words. And the writer is speaking to the believers in Jesus, the church. And he writes these words, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Well, there's so much that we could say to unpack that verse, but I simply wanted to note to us today that we today, the church, are in some ways, in many ways today, the city of God. For we are God's people, and we are his city on a hill. We are his city, a community of people, and he wants to do something marvelous in us and through us. That God has wonderful plans for us, wonderful promises for our future as his people. And he he wants to make us, he wants to form us into a different kind of city. And so I want us to see today the kind of city God promises to his people. For I believe these were promises for his people back then. And I believe there are promises for his people for us today. The first thing we see here is a city saturated with God's presence. The city, a city saturated with God's presence. And God's promise through Zechariah was a promise to once again bring his presence into their city. But I have to know that this time his presence would not only be in the temple. He doesn't just say, and my presence will dwell in the temple. But now he says, my presence will dwell in the city. His presence, in a sense, would saturate the whole city. His presence, we could say, would be felt in every home, in every street, in every alleyway. It's an incredible thought, an incredible promise. And because of God's presence being there, Zechariah says, says, and Jerusalem will be a place of faithfulness, of firmness, of truth, or called the city of truth, called the city of faithfulness. In other words, in other words, it would become a place that would last. It would not be shaken. It would be reliable. It would be steady in the days to come. And it would be a place of holiness, the holy mountain, because God's presence was there. It would be set apart to God and to his purposes. It would be sanctified by him. It would be holy because God, the holy God, lived there. His holiness would permeate the atmosphere. And notice verses 7 and 8, that it would be a place of salvation. For this is the city to which God would bring his people as he saved them out, out of the remotest places where they had been dispersed. For as people come to this city from among the nations, they would experience the work of God to save them, to heal them, to restore them. They would experience in that city God's faithfulness and God's righteousness. They would experience all that God's presence is able to bring. 
Oh, you see, the promise was that this city would be a city saturated with the presence of God. It would be a city in which the hand of God would be constantly at work, in which the spirit of God would be constantly felt. What a different kind of city. And you see, God's plan and his promise is that the church would be a place, a city, a community saturated with his presence. For God had promised that he would inhabit the praises of his people. Jesus said that when we gather in his name, he would come and dwell among us. The apostle Paul wrote, and don't you know that you yourselves speaking to us corporately as a church body, that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. Listen, if there's anything that ought to set us apart from every other organization, every other institution around us in our community, is that here in the church, in this community, in this city, there ought to be a sense that the presence of God is with us. And God wants to fill us, I believe God wants to fill us as his people, as a church, with his presence, setting us apart for his glory and using us to bring salvation to the world. It's his promise to us as his people. Come on, church, let's believe God for a renewed sense of his presence in the days to come. But secondly, we see here a city filled with life. I just love it so much because as we read this description that's given, we can't help but notice that this is a city that's just filled with so much life, so much, we could say, hustle and bustle and life. And this, of course, is in contrast to what the city had, had become from when the Babylonians had come into Judah. They, they destroyed the city, burning it to the ground, taking its people into exile. The city was, for the most part, left deserted. It had become a ghost town, a vestige of what it had once been. It had become a symbol of death and defeat. But God's promise, God's promise to his people was that he would turn their city into one that was once again filled with life. His promise was their, their city would once again become a place of vitality and prosperity, a thriving and active city. Because you see, here's the thing. Where the presence of the Lord is, there is always light and life. God's presence always brings life. Notice the beautiful picture here that there would be both the young and the old. And we see the older people sitting out in front of their homes with canes on hand in hand as children run through the streets to play. It's a picture of the fullness of the generations existing in one place. It tells us that life is going on being passed from one generation to the next. And notice there will be all kinds of activity. For the picture that's given is not a stagnant one, but it's one that's moving. You can almost picture this city as a noisy and active place. There are hundreds of conversations taking place. The children are throwing their balls and they're playing tag out in the street while the old men reminisce about the days when they used to be out there playing. A mother is maybe calling her children in for dinner. A father is just getting home from, from work. It's a city that's filled with busyness and play and celebrations and worship. Verse 19 says to us there that the somber days of fasting have instead become glad occasions and joyful festivals. Notice, if you will, that there's productivity. In fact, verse 12 says this, the seed will grow well, the vine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crops, and the heavens will drop their dew. You see, here that productivity is couched in agricultural terms, but whether the people have farms on the outskirts of the city or maybe a little shop down one of the side streets, business is good. 
The earth is rendering what it's supposed to. The economy is strong. Business is booming. We all want a strong economy, don't we? But no one is sitting around frustrated, frustrated with not having enough or the inability to accomplish enough. There's productivity. See, this is a city in which there's lots and lots of life, the kind of life that we all desire, a peaceful life, a joyful life, a productive life. And God's promise and plan, I want to tell us today, is that the church would be a place, a city, a community filled with life. Filled with life. Listen, the church is not meant to be a dead and desolate place. The church is not supposed to be a stagnant place in which you just go through ritual and routine. It's not supposed to be a place in which a bunch of people gather just to talk about the good old days. But rather, the church is to be a place filled with people, young and old, people of all generations and all backgrounds. It's to be a place filled with activity, conversations and work and play and productivity and celebrations and creativity and worship. Listen, church, the world around us has enough, just has enough desolation and death, does it not? I mean, there are enough places for us to go in this world if you want to get depressed. Just turn on the news a few times a day and you'll be depressed. But the church, the church is to be a place that breeds life. It's supposed to be a place that's filled with life as the people of God experience the presence of God working in them and working through them, as the people of God share their lives with one another, and as we work together to build God's kingdom. That's God's desire for us today as his people. He's a God of life, always creating life and breathing life. Jesus is the living water, and he's the bread of life. His desire is that there would be, coming from our innermost beings, rivers of living water, as his spirit flows into our midst. Oh, God gives to us today a promise for life. And so let's believe God as we move forward, as we, even as we go through our reopening phases, as it were. Let's believe God for a renewed sense of his life among us as his people. And finally, we see this morning here in these verses, in this chapter, that this is a city that has become very attractive to others. Just so attractive. I want you to hear what the, what the prophet writes in Zechariah 8, beginning at verse 20. That this is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going, and many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, 10 people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. I mean, do you hear that today, church? See, God promises that this city, his city would be a city that is just so attractive to others. We've all seen the advertisements that cities put out to draw tourists and businesses. They highlight all the good things about their city, hoping to draw people from miles around, even from around the world. Listen, as travel starts up again and, you know, you're going to see countries and cities, there's going to be so much travel advertising out there. They're just trying to get us to come. You know, during the 70 years of exile and just after the return of the people to Jerusalem, this was not a city that people wanted to get to. 
In fact, the Bible says that Jerusalem had become the laughing stock of the nations. No one would have ever thought of taking a vacation in Jerusalem. No one would have ever wanted to go there for business. But now, with God at work in that place, this city has the best tourism business ever, we could say. Not because of slick ads, not because it has some distinct historical buildings, not because it has the coolest entertainment or some great museums, but because God is there. We read that people from all around the world, they want to come to this city. People saying to one another, are you going to Jerusalem? If so, I want to go too. We read of 10 men begging one of God's people saying, please let us go with you. Please let us go to Jerusalem with you. For we hear that God is there and that God is with you. This is a city that people want to get to, a city they feel they have to get to, an attractive city. It's truly a different kind of city. I want to tell us today that this is God's heart's desire for us as his people, that we as a church would be a place so filled with life and light that those who are seeking the word of God, the work of God for, for themselves, the work of God within their own lives, would know that, that they could find it here among us. Well, unfortunately, it appears that in some places the church maybe has become the least attractive place of all. When you walk into some churches, you know the way it can be. There's a chill in the air as people just kind of walk by one another silently. Criticism seems to have taken the place of grace, bitterness the place of mercy, self-centeredness the place of love. And the church has too often become known for what it is against rather than for the life and salvation that it has to offer. But you see, God wants to make his church here at First Assembly and around the world. He wants to make his church the most attractive place on earth. For God wants to work among us in such a way that people would sense that there's something happening. Oh, they may not understand it, but they sense, they intuitively sense that, that in the church there can be found life and light. There ought to be maybe rumors even flying. Listen, when those people get together, I don't quite get it, but something happens. I've had people come into services like ours through the years, and they come, they sit in a pew, maybe their first time in church or their first time in a long time, and, and they'll say to me after the service, they'll say, I don't know why it was, but I sat there, and from the first note that the worship team began to sing, I just began to cry, and through the service, I was crying, and I felt something, but I don't know what it is, and I could say to them, you know what it was? It was the presence of God at work in your life. The word ought to get out. That God is there. That God is there. It's the best advertisement we have as the people of God. That people would know that God is among us. And so they would come as they begin to seek, as they begin to hunger after the life and the salvation that only he can give. You know, Pastor Bill Hybels, he wrote many years ago in one of his books. He wrote these words. I believe that there is nothing like the local church when it is working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addiction, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. 
Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. For no other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. And I want to encourage us this morning that in the midst of all that we've been facing as a church, as a people, that we ought never forget that God has a wonderful future in mind for us as his people, for his church. He wants to make us, he wants to form us into a very distinct and different kind of city, a different kind of community, one that's so filled with his presence and thus so filled with his life that it becomes the most attractive place on earth, at least to those who are seeking to know him and his salvation. Jesus said, listen, Jesus said, I will build my church. And he didn't add, unless there's a pandemic and people get shut up in their homes, or unless the economy tanks, or unless the wrong person gets elected into office. No, Jesus simply said, I will build my church. And I believe that even during this time when we have been scattered and separated, God has still been at work. Jesus has still been building his church. We sang it earlier. Even when I can't see you, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. And some of us were getting a little bit on edge, but I want to tell us today, God is faithful. God is still at work. His promises are still true. And Jesus, Jesus made a promise that he would build his church. And so as we move out of exile and we begin to re-engage and maybe enter into what will be our new normal, and I don't know what that's fully going to look like, how far we have to stand apart from each other and how often we have to wear the masks and what it's going to look like. But I simply want to tell us this morning, let's remember there's great hope for us as his people. Let's not give up, church. Let's not give in to despair. Let's not be, let's not just kind of fall back and say, well, whatever happens, happens. But as Zechariah wrote, listen, let your hands be strong. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. Earlier this morning, as the worship team was practicing, I once again walked this whole building and I just put out my hands. I'm saying, God, would you help my hands to be strong? That I would have the faith and the courage to believe you for the days to come. Let your hands be strong. In other words, be courageous, live life filled with faith and hope. Keep on working, keep on serving, keep on worshiping. Know that God will not only bring us out of exile, but he will bless us and he will make us into something new. For God has good plans for us as his people. Jesus will build his church. So let's not be downcast today. Let's not give in to discouragement. Let's not become edgy and try to push the envelope as it were. Because we're getting anxious and nervous. But let our hands be strong as we trust God with our lives, with our families, with our church, with our future. And as I lead us in prayer this morning, I want to say to some who are out there today, maybe you've never given your life to following God through faith in Jesus. I want to tell you today, that what God has promised to us as his people corporately to his church, God is able to do, he wants to do in your life personally. 
He wants to fill you with his presence. He wants to breathe into you new life. And he wants to use your life as a testimony of his grace. He wants to do something marvelous in your life that maybe maybe a few weeks from now, a few months from now, a year from now, you'll be able to look back and say, I can't believe what God did in my life. I can't believe how things have changed. I can't believe what's happened. It seems marvelous to you. And God kind of says, yeah, it's marvelous to you. Like it's kind of surprising to you, but that's just what I do. I'm a good God. I'm a good God. I love you. I love you, and I'm able to change your life from the inside out. If you're out there today, won't you follow him? Give your life to following him. And I'm going to pray this morning. I'm going to pray this morning. And if today, for the first time, you're giving your life to following Jesus, or you're just saying, you know, I need God to step into my life. I'm in a desperate place. I feel like my life is in ruins. I'm in a desperate place. There's a text message um, a phone number that's going to come up in just a bit. And you can just text to that number and just say maybe something like, oh, I need to know more. I need to know more about God's work in my life or I'm ready to follow Jesus or something. Somebody will reach out to you. Maybe just give us your first name and we'll be able to respond to you. Pastor Carlos and Giselle are receiving those, those text message um, prayer requests and even now. If you need someone to reach out to you and help you in your faith and your walk with God, we can do that for you. But church, let's just pray together and let's ask God. Maybe just ask God, God, would you make my hands strong? Give me faith. Give me courage as I continue to move forward with you. Make our hands strong as a, as a body of believers. Maybe just lift a hand to the Lord. Come on, I was doing that this morning as I was walking through this building. God, would you make our hands strong? Would you make our hands strong? Give us courage. Give us faith, God, as we look forward to the days to come. God, we're going to be going through these phases of reopening. And God, we're looking forward to being back together as a, as a body. God, God, but we don't know exactly what the future is going to look like. But we do know this, that God, you have promised us that you will work in our midst in such a way that you will fill us with your presence that we will be filled with the life of Christ and the life of your spirit. And God, that you're able to use us to bring hope and healing and salvation to the nations. God, I pray for some today who are maybe giving their hearts to following you, maybe for the first time. Lord, they sense their life is in ruins and they, they need you to work in them and to restore them, God, to forgive them of, of all their sin, of all they've ever done wrong, to make them new and to give them new hope, not just for this life, but for all of eternity. God, by your spirit, would you go to them? Would you touch them? Would you minister grace into their lives today? So we love you this morning. We thank you for the promises of your word and the hope that you give to us through your word, through your spirit, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.